I said uh, at the beginning of the service, today's uh, theme, today's Sunday of Joy, um, it's an interconnected theme or um, season, Advent. Every Sunday we've been taking um, different themes to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus. And so we talked about death, we talked about judgment, and today we are talking about heaven which when I was processing, preparing for this week, felt very challenging. This is probably one of the most challenging sermons to give, in a sense because the Bible is clear when talking about heaven, that uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, that which the Lord has prepared for those who believe in him. So in a sense, we, don't, we can't talk in detail about this tremendous gift. So what do you say for 15, 20 minutes? about what the Bible says we can't talk about. Well, that's the challenge. But yet, it's important that we take this time to consider the doctrine of heaven because it gives shape to the hope that we have, the peace that we have, and today the joy that we're meant to inhabit as followers of Jesus. And I think part of the, maybe the struggle that we have talking about heaven, I was talking to some friends this week, as I do every week, and I kind of sneak in some questions because it helps me prepare for Sunday. And I said, well, what do you think about heaven? And the basic answer I received is, well, I don't, I guess I don't really think about it. I think that maybe we, we often don't. And the most that I think we do when I have these conversations, and you tell me if this maps onto you, when we think about heaven, the primary shape is usually, well, there are people that I've loved and lost. And I would like to see them again. And so shape takes the form of a meeting with those we have loved and lost. And I sympathize with that. You live long enough, you do lose people. And you want to see them again. I do too. But here's the, here's the modern conundrum. It's a, little, it's a little vicious cycle. Because... Let's say as a follower of Jesus, we say, well, okay, yeah, heaven, I'm going to see mom and dad again. Or I'm going to see my granddad. And that fills you with a kind of maybe longing or peace or happiness for a moment. And then what's the next step in our mental gymnastics? As soon as you say that, there's that voice in your own voice, in your head that comes up and says, well, that's kind of a fantasy, isn't it? You don't know that's going to happen. Maybe you're making that up. And so you see the problem there. That actually leaves you empty. Because one moment you're longing for that reunion with people that you love, and in the same breath, there's a system of belief that completely undermines it. And you're left with what? Ashes. And so what happens is, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're given this promise of heaven, and we're on this pilgrimage, we're on this journey, but it's really uncomfortable because we have an uncertain conclusion. Who among us gets into a vehicle, has a plan to drive somewhere, and when you get behind the wheel, you're like, well, actually, I don't know if I'm actually going to get there. I don't even know where it is. Do you do that? No one does. No, we don't do that. I'm very... Uh, I rely on Google Maps too much. For the shortest drive, I put it in Google Maps. I want to know where I'm going. 
But in our spiritual journey, we have this end called heaven, and the most we can say about it is, well, I'm going to see family again, and poof, but maybe not, maybe it's not real, I don't know. And that's a shame. Because the doctrine of heaven is meant to encourage us, it's meant to give us a, a, a joy that allows us to weather the storms of life. It's God's gift. And so the first thing I want to say is that as followers of Jesus, as we prepare to receive Jesus as Christmas, we're meant to think about the doctrine of heaven because heaven is real. At the very least, it's real. We can trust in it because Jesus talked about it. To his friends, to his followers, he says, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare those for you. So that one day, where I am, you too shall be. That's the promise of Jesus. We have a true home. We're pilgrims in this land. We have a true home with God, with Jesus. And that's for everyone. Remember the scene when Jesus is being crucified on the cross? He gives up his life for us. And there's the thieves next to him. Remember that one thief? He says, Jesus... Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Would you remember me? My friends, at some level, that's probably the feeblest of prayers. He didn't have no knowledge or content of who Jesus was. He was not privy to his miracles or three years of theological teaching that the apostles got. He just sat there in a, in a, in a very frail trust. Would you help me? And what does Jesus say? You're going to be with me. And so heaven is a real place. It's a home. In fact, the Bible talks about it. Uh, we've, uh, as many of you know, we have a Bible study, Bible study going on every Tuesday afternoon. And when we first started the Bible study, we started at the very beginning. We started in the book of Genesis, the, primor the primordial story of the history of the human race. And it said that when God created the world, he created a garden. And he created humans in this garden. And it says that in this garden, God would walk with his creation, with Adam and Eve. He'd be right there. Which is incredible when you think about it. That the living God, creator, would just walk among his people. But the point is that Eden, this garden, the perfection of creation, was the earth. And for God to walk with his creation meant that heaven in a sense, came down, there was this overlap of the created order and the divine life together in perfect unity. There was a harmony there. That's what we were created for. That's what our heart longs for. Now here it gets tricky. Because I've talked about how heaven's a real, it's a real place, it's real, we can trust it. But I think here's where we get tripped up. Because I get, tri I get, I get tripped up here too, so I guess I'm putting it on you. Maybe you don't. Right. All right. I, I do. This is the work I had to do. You think about heaven. I was asking, I was talking to, I think it was my daughter, and she's like, well, wh where's heaven? Is it up? Because we tend to think <coughs> geographical location. Where is it? How does it work? And like I said, precisely that, the Bible doesn't really talk about it. 
talked to some other people and they think, well, heaven, uh, maybe it's like a, like a beach. You got your little coconut with a little umbrella and you're at peace and you relax. Or heaven is this beautiful forest and you think of these geographical locations. Heaven is relaxing. Heaven is having everything you want and it just sort of shows up. And I was thinking about those answers and then I went and read one of my favorite theologians, Jonathan Edwards, who has a, a massive treatise on, on heaven. I only got about halfway through and skimmed the rest because it was, it was a lot. But here's something that I learned and I want to share it with you. Is that when we think of heaven, if you think of it in terms of, oh, it's relaxation and I get everything that I want and all this jazz. It starts to feel more like we think about heaven in terms of the economic system that we live in. If I had infinite money, I could just relax and be on a beach and just enjoy all my pleasures. And what I notice about that way of thinking that we might often sort of lean into is that when I was looking at Jonathan Edwards, who's writing like 400 years in the past, that whole discussion of heaven, he has one small paragraph where he talks about the joy of meeting your loved ones, and then the rest of it is a discussion on love. That heaven is where you experience perfect love. It was actually a very beautiful philosophical, theological exploration. Now, why is it that it's about love? I think that he described heaven as love, and I'm persuaded by what he was saying, because I also see it in the Bible. Because love, true love, is precisely what we're missing in this world. Because true love is for me to look at you, and you to look at me, and we will have no enmity, no strife, no... There'd be no challenge in us connecting. You would give space for me, and I would give space for you, and that would be true love. The self-giving of the self for the other. But that's what we don't have in this world. And at its core, the problems that we face, when you look at the world at large, nation against nation, the strife is because we just don't know how to love each other. We're excellent at hatred and killing. We struggle to love. And that's not just an international problem between nations that we're seeing unravel live right now. But it happens in our local community. How is it possible that there's a few people with billions of dollars who have everything and many young people here who don't have housing? Including, often, some of our wonderful musicians that play music for us. There's a problem here. And then, as you, you and I know, it's not just international, it's just not like a local community, it's also in our lives. Strife between parents and children, our family, division, alienation. That's real too. That's why Christmas is complicated. It's great to be with family, it's also really hard to be with family. You know what I mean. And then there's alienation. There's a hurt that we suffer in ourselves. The struggle we have to accept and love ourselves. So you see at all levels, there's just, there's just friction. But we weren't meant to live like that. At all. In the beginning, when heaven and earth were one, we lived in perfect harmony with our creators. We're receiving God's gift of love so perfectly and therefore sharing it with each other. 
but we lost that. Now, that would be a very sad story if it ended there, but we know it doesn't, right? Because part of the Advent preparation is recognizing this serious problem that we can't fix. All our attempts of our own love are laced with self-serving attitudes and broken. If, we, if, if our love could fix this world, it would have been done already. Trust me, it would have been done already. No. We need help from the outside. And that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus in himself brings heaven to us. On our own, we could not fabricate a ladder to heaven. Jesus brings heaven to us. And we see the life of heaven in his life. His perfect love. His perfect acceptance. Challenging the evil of the powers of that age and the evils found in the human heart, yet also loving, desperately loving. And when he judged the evil of the world, he didn't sit in a lofty throne, he judged it and then he gave his life for the world. And that's heaven breaking into our midst. It's that perfect love. So I'm going to tell you something. Because when we think about heaven, we'll think, well, gosh, all right, so maybe it's real. Yeah, maybe I can trust that. But that really does seem like an end-of-life thing. That could be far away. I don't know. It just feels like a long time. And today I'm lonely, and today I'm hurt. But my gift in Jesus is that if you turn to him and trust, his love is planted in your life. Your life becomes a garden plants the seeds of heaven right in your life that can grow into a garden of love that can sustain you. And that love, you know what that love is? That surety that God is with you. You know what that is? When you have a love of God in your life and you can experience that love, you're experiencing a seedbed of joy. Love of God produces the joy of because you know that what, no matter what's happening today, your future is secure. And as we talked about here at St. George's, we, we say often enough, our future dictates our now. Third, 14 years ago, it was a terrible year for me. I lost, I lost my job, I lost my girlfriend, there was couldn't afford my rent. It was a really hard, hard part of my life. And I was working odd jobs just to make some kind of ends meet. I don't have much of a family, so there's no fallback. If I can't make it, it's just, at that point, there's nothing. It was a very desperate time for me. And I think if you live long enough, all of us see those desperate times. But one way or another. And I was given a check by a wonderful um, pastor who since passed into God's glory. I remember him fondly. It was unlooked for. I did not ask for it, probably out of pride. But he came, he knew, my, he knew my situation, and he gave me a check, and it was postdated. I could cash it in three weeks, and it was a significant sum. For me, it was a lot of money. And I had that check. Three weeks. I'm going to tell you, those three weeks were still hard. A lot of tuna cans I was eating, little, little cans of beans, 
trying to make it stretch. Kind of wearing dirty clothes, I just couldn't afford the, the washing machine. But I'm like, I threw, but I, you know what? You would have met me in those three weeks. You would have thought I was the happiest guy because I had that check, and I knew three weeks, man. In three weeks, I'm gonna be okay. It shaped my life. This is a very small example. Well, to me, it meant a lot back then. But yeah, I can see how it's also frivolous. But do you see what I'm saying? promise that one day you and I are going to be with Jesus. That that's not just an end life thing, but that his love is given to us now. Can produce a life filled with love, securing God's love, and therefore a joy that can weather the storms of life. Because I tell you right now, I'm not sure where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know where you are in your life journey. But I've had enough conversations. Every time I talk to someone, everyone's hurting. Everyone's going through something. We are. No one gets out of this life unscathed. Don't you want that joy that only God can give? It's the best thing that you could receive. So I want to encourage you today, and as we continue this journey, preparing our hearts to receive Jesus, that we recognize what we're being offered. Heaven in our lives today. The manger isn't just sentimentality. It's the inbreaking of God's love in this world for you. If only you choose to accept it. I pray that you would choose that. As we say, not only for your great good, but for God's greater glory. Amen? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise that in our loneliness, in our sadness, in our despair, God, you don't, you're not indifferent to us. You don't ignore us, God. You come to us in the person of Jesus. You bring heaven to us and you offer it to us as a gift that we might choose to accept it and experience your love and your joy as only you can give. God, I pray for everyone in this room. I don't know their lives, but you do. Help them, help me, help all of us to turn to you, to accept your gift and receive your love and your joy. Transform our hearts and to be agents of love in this world. This we pray in the name of Jesus.